0: Drive Live at 5.11. It's Understanding Property. I just want to reiterate, actually, if you have a question in particular to do with property, get in touch as early as possible. If there's something on your mind, there's something with a contract that you are about to sign, you're going to renew your rent for another year or it's coming up to 90 days before and you want to renegotiate perhaps, with your landlord, who knows, whatever it might be, get in touch, 4001 via the free app or four two three ten ten. 1010. More uh, widely, more broadly, I suppose, uh, other legal questions as well. Usually HR and job-related, uh, employment-related questions, uh, we will save those for tomorrow. A couple of job-related questions coming in because it is uh, another legal hour and an HR hour tomorrow afternoon, 5 to 6. That is Career Connect. So uh, legal property-related for this hour. Right, Ludmila Yamalova is here for the next uh, 50, let me see, 45, 50 minutes or so.
1: Understanding property on Drive Live.
0: And uh, it's lovely to see you once again.
1: Great to be here, as
0: always. So, let's start with our new weekly segment on this program, which is called Ludmilla's VAT Update. Because, actually, every week you come in and there's either something new that you've learned about the impending arrival of VAT, or there's an article that may clarify something to do with VAT. What have you learned this week?
1: Yes, to to be precise, I haven't really learned anything new since last week, but there have been a few news stories that take the VAT topic further and um, in in particular one story from Zawiya that caught my attention that I thought might be interesting Mm. to clarify with listeners and that is regarding VAT and its application to commercial leases. Uh, So as per this article... There is now a new trend, apparently, where landlords and tenants are starting to renegotiate their leases or in preparation of the VAT being introduced. Now, why that's important, just by way of a quick recap, according to the statements we have received from the officials of the Ministry of Finance, who is doing briefings on the VAT and how it's supposed to take shape uh, once it's actually introduced and officially implemented, uh, th- according to them, commercial leases, not residential leases, but commercial leases will now be subject to VAT. Well, not now, uh, once the law is introduced. Uh, well, that means uh, that every lease will now, ha- will now cost or, or be m- 5% higher. Mm. Now, who is going to pay that extra 5% is the question. So let's say if I have a commercial lease of five years, and I, as of January uh, 1st, which is when the VAT is supposed to be introduced of next year, I will be entering this into the second year. Who is going to pay the five percent? Uh, does the landlord have the right to ask me to pay the five, the additional five percent that I did not budget for, uh, or will the obligation to pay the VAT uh, lies w- lie with the, with the landlord? So that's where we do not have full clarity on until the law is is, is finally in in formal um, shape. Uh, but um, but for now there, that's uh, that's definitely an issue that um, is, is percolating and according to at least this article uh, this is where the landlords are now starting to renegotiate their leases with the tenants. so for example in my case I would have expected at some point uh, and this does not apply to me I'm just using myself as an example for to contextualize the, the topic but let's say if the landlord came tomorrow and said well as of January 1 we want to amend the the lease to add the five percent has to be paid by me the tenant mm. well <coughs> uh, contractually uh, a contract can only be amended if both parties sign off to it uh, both parties agree so why the landlord may ask me to do so and and even perhaps give me a legitimate legitimate justification that it should be the tenant who's responsible for paying the five percent vat I, as a tenant, as the other party of the contract, do not have to agree uh, to that clause. So therefore, uh, at least in theory, the landlord will now have to pay 5% from the amount that it, he receives from me, and therefore he will be 5%, he'll be receiving 5% less than he normally um, would. And so apparently now the landlords are starting to take that into account and start to introduce that clause in their agreements. And uh, again, while it's, it's difficult to give definitive legal advice on what to do, how we can prepare for this VAT until the law is actually uh, in print. It certainly is prudent for companies, for parties, for corporations to start including the clause on how that VAT tax is going to be handled and by whom.
0: It's interesting, actually, isn't it? Because you would expect, I guess it would be logical to extend that and think, well, from January the 1st next year, you're going to start to see parties uh, having difficulties coming to a resolution because most landlords, you would guess, would want to pass that on uh, if they have a commercial premise that a company or a business is using.
1: For sure. And I will tell you, there's another complication to it is because, Again, p- depending o- if if the law takes shape as we expect it to take shape, then the responsibility to pay that VAT tax, I- uh, tax I- in the case of the landlords is actually with the landlord, not the tenant, but with the landlord. Therefore, even if there is uh, a contract between me and the landlord, me being the tenant, uh, where I am supposed to pay the 5% VAT. The landlord can only pay that 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 five percent if I actually pay him the five percent, right? But it it could be that even though it's in the agreement, I actually don't pay him the five percent. So therefore, but because the obligation to pay the tax is between him and the government, he is the collector for the government. Then even if I as a tenant do not pay him contractually agreed uh, tax, he has to basically pay it out of his own pocket. Then he has to sue me in an uh, RDC presumably, mm. and he will win because if it is an agreement that. I have to pay the 5% uh, the court will uh, will make me pay the 5% but in the meantime he will have to uh, to foot the bill and pay the five percent out of his own pocket, and then spend more money suing me in court to force me to pay the extra five percent. So, it's just a nuance that I am sure we will see at play uh, more than once.
0: There's also a perception, a perception nuance here, isn't there? That the the landlord, the ever popular landlord, is also becoming the tax collector, so even more popular, uh, I suppose, to a lot of people as well.
1: Indeed, yes. <laughs> and so, for if if I were to give advice to landlords, I mean, the best way to ensure them uh, themselves or to protect themselves as they're entering, for example, in 2018, is to make sure that they collect that VAT tax up front. So let's say if the lease uh, amount for 2018 is 100,000 uh, dirhams, then you would want as a landlord to collect a check, uh, a check at the same time of 5,000 dirhams, for example, you know, right at the outset of the year. So that way... They've already secured, even though they don't have to pay it until later, at least they've already collected it up front.
0: Okay, so that's our uh, VAT update uh, this week. Uh, One question for you very briefly before we go to a break, uh, Ludmilla. Is the VAT tax on top of housing fees that are attached to the DEWA bill? Is that going to happen?
1: Uh, great question. The housing fees usually apply to, uh, to residential properties. Yep. And VAT, at least for now, by the accounts that we've received so far from the officials, the VAT will not apply to, commercial, uh, to residential real estate, and therefore it will not be in addition to the housing fee because we're already paying the housing fees.
0: Okay. One uh, more thing about VAT. I don't know if you can answer this. Uh, Sayed says, does VAT apply to everybody? UAE National, expats, it's across the board?
1: Yes, it applies to, ultimately it applies to businesses that are set up here.
0: Okay, that's the VAT update for this week. Understanding Property continues. Our guest, our expert, is Ludmilla Yamalova. As ever, loads of questions to get to. We'll come back and answer some of those. This is Drive Live.
1: On Dubai Eye 103.8.
0: Drive Live, and it is Understanding Property. Understanding Property. Ludmilla Yamalova is here with us. Loads of questions. Uh, Let's stick with the VAT subject for a few moments. There was a question in uh, earlier and it was... From Giles? This, was it Giles? No, let me go, yeah, let me go to Giles first of all. Mm -hmm. Would VAT be applicable in the DIFC, the Dubai International Financial Centre, as it is a different jurisdiction and has different legal uh, systems in place, different Uh, laws?
1: Great question. We do not know the answer to that yet. Also, we do not have the answer to whether free zones, other free zones, in addition to the DIFC, even though they're subject to civil uh, law versus DIFC being subject to the common law, even for those jurisdictions, we do not know whether they will be subject to VAT. So that's that's just an issue we will continue to follow and update as more details uh, become available.
0: Okay, and hopefully weekly, the uh, Ludmilla's VAT update will continue uh, through to January the first. Another question for you, Ali, texts us in. I don't want to get too technical with this, but it is a really uh, good point. Isn't VAT offset, i.e., collections minus so companies claiming about VAT their suppliers charge them charge them and pay the difference. So you pay on the margin to the government.
1: Absolutely. And this is a point that I was mindful of making on air because it can get a little more technical. And, mm. and, and mind you, I am no accountant or do not really have any uh, technical uh, financial background. So, But I have been learning quite a bit on, uh, on on this this very issue. So so basically, Ali is correct. So there are two. The way to think about it is there's an input VAT VAT and there is output VAT. So companies, because you know, the big concern has been circulating that everything is going to cost a lot more than 5% because I pay to all my suppliers, let's say, by uh, uh, office supplies, I buy furniture, I buy, you know, diwa or electricity uh, and coffee, water and so on and so forth. So I pay 5% for everything there. Mm -hmm. So therefore, in fact, actually my, you know, my business, as a business, I'm going to pay a lot more than 5% because there's a 5% that's added at every level. So that has been the concern, but in in the way how it's going to apply is that there is an input uh, VAT, and that is, for example, all the VAT, the five percent that I pay to all the suppliers, all the money that's coming into or, or, or all that's coming into my business, um, you know, for me to run the business. So let's say every year I pay one hundred thousand dirhams in various VAT payments to the various suppliers. Now, uh, for my services, I will also collect VAT for the government. So let's say I invoice to. Two hundred thousand dirhams of legal services, and I have to collect the five percent. Or that's two hundred thousand dirhams is the five percent that I have collected for the government on my services. So what I do is that, and that's the output VAT. So what I do is that I have to subtract input VAT, which is a hundred thousand dirhams that I have paid to the suppliers, uh, from the output VAT, and that is for what I invoice for my legal services. Let's say the two hundred thousand. So I only pay one hundred thousand dirhams to the government. So it is the margin that we pay to the government that we give. the government, not the full amount of of VAT that we pay, so on both ends.
0: Okay, that's the question. Final question on VAT here, and this is just coming from Syed uh, Ludmilla. As I understand it, VAT on rental applies only to commercial properties. Where I live is owned by a bank. It produces income for the bank. How does VAT work, or how do you imagine it's going to be? Do you know uh, how VAT works in this situation?
1: Well, I mean, if it is, again, it only applies to uh, to commercial property. So if your building is owned by a bank, it would be, it would the bank is your landlord. So ultimately, the obligation from what we can tell so far is going to be for the landlord to collect the 5% uh, to pay to the government. Uh, so, and that will depend on what, how your agreement with the bank is structured. So in this case, the bank is... Um, um, is is the landlord. So there's presumably a lease agreement and it, there could be a clause in the lease agreement that says, okay, all, any kind of taxes or fees to the government will have to be the obligation of the tenant and so if there is such clause, then, then in your case, it will be your obligation to pay it. But if there is no such clause, that's where the gray area comes in. And mm. you could very legitimately argue as a tenant that that's a new clause in the agreement to which you did not agree, and therefore it should be the landlord who will have to pay the 5%.
0: Have you seen clauses like this in the past that any you know future applicable taxes, fees that may have to be paid, you would have to cover? Is that something that you've come up against? Or?
1: Ironically enough, yes. And I will tell you in a very okay. simple example, and that is the previous version or time of a real estate contract or or a lease agreement that uh, was predominantly used for for leases, both commercial and residential. And that's a green form. Those listeners who've (laughs) who've rented properties uh, would be familiar with them. Uh, That was not a mandatory template to use, but it was certainly a very common template uh, uh, that was used. And it's only a one-page document and it's in English and Arabic. And in fact, there is a clause in there that any kind of fees or taxes uh, to the government would be the responsibility of the tenant. And I remember historically it was sort of a clause, kind of a throwaway clause because what, taxes would we have to pay? Well, obviously now it's quite relevant, and so those tenants who have signed that previous, or the, the old version of the green tenancy agree- agreement uh, do go back to your agreement. There is a clause in there that passes on the responsibility for any kind of tax uh, to the tenant.
0: See if you have that cardboard box at the back of the cupboard and you come across the green form. Uh, scramble for that, have a look at that tonight. Let's go to the text line, Sally. Lots of other questions.
2: Yeah, here. lots of other questions. There was this one earlier from Walid, actually saying uh hello i stay in charge of the building i'm staying in is owned by a bank uh the building was sold uh under a new real estate company who's in charge refuses to provide maintenance until we pay unless we pay also uh when i informed them that i'm leaving due to bad management they said we don't have your security deposit uh so how would he be able to get his money back
1: well, here the question I- is one of, of evidence or documentation. What, what's in the documents? Do you have a copy, for example, of the deposit you paid to the previous landlord? Uh, and what do you have a copy of the tenancy agreement? And what is in the tenancy agreement? Uh, and, uh, regarding maintenance for example but normally in the contractual in a commercial transaction like this a party that buys uh, buys let's say an asset like that it buys actually that asset with all the liabilities and the obligations that are attached to it so therefore the new owner of this building would be uh, bound ba- bound and subject to the same limitations same terms and conditions and same uh, and and same obligations uh, that the previous owner of the building uh, was subject to so legally speaking uh, the same the same terms and conditions apply uh, but in practice however i would imagine that the new landlord would use arguments like they already have that they don't have copies of for example documents so the importance here will be just to prove uh, or to make sure that you have all the documents to prove your position and in in the in relevant terms in your case it will be a copy of the deposit that was paid to the previous uh, landlord uh, and it would be the responsibility of still the new landlord uh, to deal with how th- with that deposit so for example the new landlord we can say and we have seen these arguments quite frequently made well I didn't receive the deposit from the previous owner well that's not re- that's not a problem of the tenant that's re- that's a problem of the new landlord so therefore that's not an argument that's going to stand up in court and similarly going back to the question of the listener regarding the maintenance uh, so you would need to see what's in the agreement regarding who is paying uh, for maintenance and when. And um, and so contractually, if it's clear that the maintenance is with the landlord, they cannot use the argument that they are a new party to the agreement as an excuse not to.
0: We're trying to shed some light on the legal aspects of property here in Dubai, here in the UAE. This hour, another half an hour with Ludmilla Malova, who you heard just there on Understanding Property. Any questions? 4001, the free app to text in on. The Gremlins, technically, I think, have uh, worked their way out of the system, which is good news. Loads of questions to ask Ludmilla. If you'd like to talk to her directly, you can call us on 423 1010. 10. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live. Only on Dubai Eye. 103.8. 103.8. Drive Live. Sally Mooster is here this week. We're in our Legal Property Hour. Ludmilla Yamalava is here with us. Just wanted to mention something quickly. Dubai I 103.8 Golf Day is back. It's in association with our title partner Rack Bank. Associate partner this year is in Serve. So what's happening is we're going to take 100 business leaders to our original home of the Dubai Eye Golf Day to play on the greatest course on earth. That's at Jamiro Golf Estates 26th of April a massive networking opportunity and event. If you'd like to register to buy1038.com. There are great prizes, flights, golf merchandise, clubs, bags, all kinds of stuff on the day. Good Barcelona chance to win. Uh, well this is the thing, yeah. isn't it? Swiss Air to Barcelona. Two nights, luxury accommodation at the Mandarin Oriental there, uh, and also at the business breakfast and the agenda are going to be there too. So there's a bonus. I saw a guy at the weekend in a shirt. I was when I went up to see my son play football. And there's a guy in a shirt, and I thought, oh, nice shirt. And I looked round, uh, as he looked round, and it was Dubai I- Executive Golf Day shirt. And I thought... Oh, cutting
2: the dash there, aren't you? Well, You're there you good. go. Yes, so you also maybe get be back again this year. Well, you
0: get a free shirt on the day as well. So, you know, it's not nice. like we're taking the shirt off your back. We're putting a shirt on your back.
2: Nice. Free Bonus. clothing as well.
0: Free clothing. The
2: jackets. Do you Remember the jackets? They had the jackets. I remember the jackets. They're great. You know, the Masters jackets, but you've got the Dubai Eye jackets as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. The so, blazers. I'm
2: sorry. No, no, no. The uh, can't say jackets. They're more like blazers. They're yeah. proper. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they've got those, but, yeah, they look good.
0: <laughs> 26th of <laughs> April, Dubai, golf day's on. But you can register on the Dubai, website for that. Let's go back to property. There's Millie and Marlboroughs here waiting ever so patiently. Uh, here's a question about VAT in a second. Understanding property. On Drive Live. We're back with the VAT situation. Actually, let's just clarify something first of all, Ludmilla, because Steve texted in with a good point saying, uh, and this is a reasonable point, have I missed something? The law isn't issued yet. So, isn't all discussion about VAT purely speculative? To an extent, yes. However,. You've been at, so I was going to say training events, but you're attending uh, a sanctioned ministry event, are you not, soon?
1: Indeed. So Steve is correct. Uh, you, well, you haven't really missed much because we've been saying this kind of throughout that the law has not been officially introduced and has not even been drafted yet. Um, so it is true in many ways what we're talking about is speculative uh, to an extent until there's something in print. However, enough, uh, enough, I, I guess, uh, information has been passed around, including by the official, both officials and various authorities, in particular, the Ministry of Finance regarding the topic. And in fact, the Ministry of Finance has been now uh, holding uh, briefings, or sort of official topics where they talk about the VAT and how it's supposed to take shape and, and what uh, aspects of the economy uh, will be affected. Uh, so enough information has been passed around where... At least, it is prudent to um, to to have the discussion, and per- perhaps for businesses and for individuals, uh, to at least hear the information and decide on their own um, whether it is uh, is it's um, timely or premature for them to start uh, either amending uh, their business uh, business practices or at least keeping in mind some of these clauses uh, in the contracts um, that are sign- they're starting to sign between now and. Uh, I guess, in theory, it should be January 2018. Um, so, yes, you're correct. I, it's not yet uh, in print, but uh, if we, at, at least we need to give enough credence to the information that is being uh, being shared and uh, by the Ministry of Finance. And, in fact, these public um, um, brief briefings that are being held, uh, the public is invited to attend them. So I think we need to give enough credence to that information to at least... Prepare um, mm. for you know for the law to be introduced and um, I mean ultimately when it's going to be introduced and in what shape remains to be seen.
0: It's not gossip around the water cooler kind of thing, but it, it is a fair point, Steve. It is This is information coming from the Ministry of Finance, and as Miller says, uh, the public, people who run businesses, are being invited to attend in the build-up too. And, of course, businesses are being encouraged to prepare for the introduction of VAT.
1: Well, indeed, and I'll tell you, as a lawyer, it's always difficult for me to provide advice, in this, and, and I've had that difficulty when clients come to me and they want me to provide them with some sort of concrete advice because, as a lawyer, all we have to go by is actually what's in the law what's in print and there isn't really a law for us to rely on however from a commercial standpoint it would be unwise for for us to just wait until the law is introduced while the, that information is coming from the authorities in the meantime
0: i was just going to say that probably answers part of mehdi's question he wrote in a little while ago and said i'm running a workshop uh, i have 15 workers we make sofas we make curtains on order is wondering how vat may affect his buying and selling needs an answer to that the, i guess mehdi thing to do is to go and attend. If you can, look for a Ministry of Finance workshop. Is that the
2: first? Yeah, absolutely. Cool.
1: You can actually, in that's the Ministry of Finance, And um, there's a website, you just type in Google Ministry of Finance, and there is a schedule for uh, for the briefings. They hold briefings different emirates um, on a fairly regular basis, so I think that's that's a good starting point. Okay,
0: I hope that helps. Now, Tarek uh, texted in a little while ago, and this is uh, by extension from VAT as well. It kind of takes over on the program, the VAT subject, doesn't it? But this is interesting, I think. As an investor in hotel apartments, uh, they're considered commercial property. Uh, does that mean rental income will be subject to VAT as a uh, tax question
1: well great question and i would say yes because it it is considered commercial property so yeah you as a landlord as the, as the owner of um uh, of that property uh will have the obligation again from what we can tell so far that the obligation will be uh with you the landlords to collect the 5% on behalf of the government from your tenants
2: oh so many questions around that and definitely Of course, it's a developing story every week. I'm sure you'll have new updates for us. Other questions coming in now. Uh, One saying here, my landlord has not been contactable for the last... Two years. This uh, is
0: unbelievable. I don't...
2: How does that happen? Um, I've been depositing the rent uh, with Rira. Uh, this year, when I went to Rera they asked me to send the notice to him, which was done uh, by Rera last year. Since I don't have his address, they asked me to send him an email and bring them a delivery and read the receipt of the email. As per Rira rules, am I required to do this? He asks.
1: Well it's you know a, yeah. it's interesting uh, so it's an interesting question because I haven't really seen rear play that kind of an active role in encouraging one party to do something in the absence of an actual uh, you know, court case or a case with rear and sounds like unless you've actually opened a court case there isn't really it's, it's sort of premature for uh, for the authorities to be ruling or, or rendering decisions one way or the other however I, I can only speculate that in this case because they are holding on to your checks they just want um, they want their own in some ways they might be held liable because they are holding on to your checks they want some sort of confidence that the other side that the landlord has in fact been notified uh, so that at least it, it, i guess for their own purposes they can you know they can update their records as to you know the status of this case but legally are there are you required to do so i am not aware of it no uh, and also y- practically it's it's a bit difficult uh, i can imagine that there could be difficulties in providing them with the documents requested because not every uh, read receipt email that's sent out actually will come in as uh, as as such because in many cases uh, people can't set, uh, set their email settings such a way that they will not send the read receipt uh, notification to the other side uh, so certainly if if they've asked you it it sounds like it's a fairly fairly easy thing to do if you cancel an email and if they there is a read receipt uh, notification then produce a, that evidence to them uh, but I, I don't see what the objection from your side would be
0: it takes landlord absenteeism to a whole new level doesn't it I mean how often do you see things like this when landlords are that remiss with their tenants? we do
1: believe it or not we do see and we <laughs> really? see in fact many more years than just two years uh, wow. Yes and, and in many cases we've seen five years and then they come out of the woodworks and and then claim rent for the last five years uh, so our advice has always been that just make sure that just because the landlord has not come forward and has asked you for the payment does not mean that now uh, they have waived uh, their uh, their rights to that rent uh, so it's they can come back at any point in time and, uh, and and claim that rent in in retrospect and certainly we have seen that very very thing happen and they certainly have legal right to do so because i think the statute of limitation for this is much more than 5 years
0: it's it, i was going to say actually when i uh, first read that text it struck me that this person is doing exactly the right thing if if you're in a situation like that deal with rera and deposit the checks with rera even if they're not cashed you are uh, safe to all intents and purposes. Correct, because not.
1: basically what you're trying to do is that you're creating a document or yeah. evidence that yeah. you have tried to comply with your side of the contract and it's the other party, the landlord, um, that is obviously in default.
0: It is our Legal Hour, Understanding Property. Ludmilla Yamalava is here. We've got a few more minutes, lots of questions to get to. if there is something uh, burning a hole in your brain legally to do with your property, get in touch with us, 4001. Lord Miller is here to answer that free legal advice. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai I 1038 FM.
2: All right, and we are back with Ludmilla and Understanding Property. We've been talking VAT. We've been talking all sorts of things. It's your last chance to get your questions in. A couple of new ones uh, have uh, just come in. We've got lots to get through, and if we don't get through them today, we'll definitely uh, keep them for next week. But uh, Ludmilla Ludmilla Craig asks, uh, if you've repaid the full amount of a home loan, excluding interest, and due to develop a default of eight years to deliver the development and the home, what could the bank do if you uh,
1: decided, if you decided to stop paying and default? I'm not sure I properly understand the question, but I, I, I think I'll try to decipher it. So, I think what you're asking is that if you stop paying money to um so you said you've, you've paid the full amount of a home loan to the bank so if you've paid to the bank then basically the bank does not really have any cause of action against you because you have your own contract with the bank and you have your own contract with the developer so with the bank sounds like your contract is for the mortgage which you have fully paid off and if you've done that then the bank cannot come and pursue you because you, there is you have not breached a contract with them uh, now if you stop paying to the developer pre- um, presumably there is an amount that's paid to the developer then that particular relationship is between you and the developer and and the bank cannot really come after you for that because un- unless they're a party to your agreement with a developer which historically I'll tell you I have not seen a, a tri-party agreement like that yet most of the time there's separate agreements between uh, the person the, the creditor and the and the debtor and between uh, the investor and the developer so in this case if you if you stop paying to the developer then it's really the cases between you and the developer and it will be the developer that has to come after you if you default but it sounds like in this case it's a developer that defaulted not you so then you're it's a it's complicated so it's, it's really up to you what you want to do if you if, if you want the recourse against um, against the developer, then you'd have to file a case against them and uh, allege a breach of uh, a breach of contract for failing to deliver the property timely and then assert as compensation the amount that you've paid uh, to the bank in terms of the home loan uh, and uh, as basically as, as compensation for the breach of contract by the developer. So it's a little c- it's complicated, but it's certainly possible to do.
0: And if you prove the developer is at fault, this is a developer uh, fault in this instance, you have a pretty strong case.
1: Yes, but I will tell you what worries me here is that the developer is in default eight years later. Yeah. So. What worries me more is that what if the developer is no longer around? So, so let's say what you've done is you've paid your mortgage to uh, your entire mortgage to the bank. So your obligation with the b- uh, bank has been committed, or, or has been uh, concluded. But yet, uh, your relationship with the developer is is in breach because the developer is is you know has not delivered what um, they had obligated. But more importantly, if the developer is not around, so you can bring a case against the developer. You can win, and you will win in that particular case if it's pled correctly. But then what can you do with a judgment if the developer either is not here or does mm-hmm. not really have any assets to collect against so it, it it could be a very complicated scenario, and we have seen them before unfortunately, where you are let's say. A million dirhams out of pocket because that's the money you have paid to the bank and then you have a favorable judgment against the developer uh, where let's say the developer owes you that million dirham plus whatever else uh, but yet the developer is not there to collect the money so it can be a very financially difficult place to be
2: Uh, A question that came in earlier from Koram says, uh, I jointly own three apartments with my brother. Is it possible to make a long-term power of attorney granting each other the authority to action on the other's behalf, for example, when you're renting or selling or any other legal matter?
1: it's a great question so there are actually two components to it and that is uh, regarding the length of the POA and the other one re- regarding the scope of the POA so in terms of the length of the term of the POA the question is whether it's possible to do a long term absolutely if you do you do not need to include a term uh, or expiration term in your POA as to when it would come uh, to, um, uh, to when it stops um, sees or acting as a- well act being active uh, so if you do not have a clause in there that says the POA expires on such such date then therefore the POA continues on uh, and basically until one of the other party terminates so in terms of doing a longer term POA absolutely possible done all the time now there's a pr- so that's from a legal standpoint from the practical standpoint uh, sometimes certain authorities do not like POAs that are just too old. So it's not so much a legal requirement or legal stance, but it's more practical. So for example, the Land Department, if there's a POA that's, that's eight years old, they will not accept it only because they want basically a refresher uh, to see that POA is still active. Uh, so, and some, some authorities, in fact, so the way to do it, you can go to the notary and you can actually get a stamp from the notary, that says yes, this POA has not yet been revoked. However, there are even certain authorities they will not even accept that they actually want a brand new poa just to ensure that the parties are still basically on the same um on the same uh the same relationship so that's with regards to um uh, to the terms so be aware of the authorities that you're using it with with regards to the scope and then here karam um, mentioned renting selling or any other legal matters as far as renting and any other legal matters that's um that's Pretty standard, but make sure to include the specific language as to what you you want each other to do um, on those properties. With regards to selling, it's a lot more complicated, and again, the, the land department these are not necessarily legally. Um, codified requirements, but practical requirements um, that have been issued or required uh, by the land department over the years for the right reasons, because there are a lot of abuses that were happening on the back of of, um, of POAs. So now the land department actually requires whenever there is a question of sale, because at that point there is a very uh, a very important right that's being uh, that's being uh, basically subject, and that is you're know, selling your property. Somebody s- is uh, somebody else is selling property on your behalf they're collecting money on your behalf that's a very important right so they want confirmation first of all that you um that that property is owned by that individual at that point in time so therefore these days and this again you will not find it codified anywhere but this is the requirement so let's say if you wanted to do a poa uh, issue poa today at the notary the notary will actually if with uh, with regards to the renting or selling in particular they will want to see the original title deed so you have to go, let's say Sally and I own something together, so we want to give each other POAs, so we'll actually have to go to the notary with the original title deed and to show that we actually am- include in the POA the specific details of that property. That requirement did not used to exist until about three or four years ago, but today if you want to give somebody the right to sell your property, you need to include uh, the specifics of the property and you need to include, um, the t- to show to the notary the original title deed for them to actually notify. Authorize that document, and then the land department will accept it. Uh, in the past, that wasn't the case, and, and therefore there are a lot of abuses. Uh, so, if you do it like that, then it, it would work. It, but bear in mind that the land department and the other authorities uh, do every so often require diff- you know, for the POAs to be refreshed. Uh, so, can I say that you can issue a, a long-term POA for the next five years and nothing will change? No. So you need to be mindful that this is that the, the laws evolve and the regulations Evolve so uh, and um, so it, it's possible that three years from now that POA will no longer be va- valid
0: okay so at the time we've got today I wanted to broaden it just briefly I wonder if you can answer this just quickly Ludmilla um, it's a question from last week I wanted to get to this if you've sent a question in today and we haven't got to it we will keep it and address it next week you're very welcome to text it back in next week we do keep the questions that we haven't addressed this is one thing and it, it broadens the discussion slightly uh, Ibrahim texted in I want to set up an online business do I need a trade license to do that
1: in short if business yes because under the UAE law any kind of business must be uh, to, to be it m- must be uh, done under a proper legal entity so you cannot just let's say do business out of outside of your house you need to have a trade license to that allows you to do that particular business so that's just the general law now the questions always come up if I'm doing something online how will the government and it doesn't really touch the UAE so how will the government know well if it doesn't if there's really no money changing hands it's very difficult to police or enforce um, that kind of business but if you're setting up an an online business that actually has roots to the uae you just need to be mindful that yeah uh, uh, yes every business especially if there is money changing hands and that is you're selling something you're selling a service that that um that by law yes you're required to have a trade license whether that's going to be enforceable or not depends on your um, circumstances but certainly you need to to know the law and expect that one day you'll get that knock on the door
0: Ibrahim, there's your answer. Ludmilla Yamalova has been answering the questions today as ever. Ludmilla, really appreciate you coming in. Thank you.
1: Always a pleasure.